0: Before we start, Dan, uh, I just wanted to ask our listeners something. So, and that is, if you love this podcast, I need you to do one thing. If you're listening right now, I need you to tell one other person about this podcast to help
1: us grow. Even, even, and- if, even if you don't love the podcast, but you'd love either of us, share it around, help us grow. It's the one thing we could do to to get this bigger and get our ideas out to more people. Exactly. Show your brother. Show your dad. Show your sister. Show your mum. Show your auntie. Could be anyone.
0: All good examples of family uh, members. Good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to kick us off with an idea today, Dan. Yeah, let's get into it. So, so imagine this. You're sitting at the pub. I love my ideas at the pub, right? I feel like I've had multiple ideas where we're at the pub. So, imagine this. You're sitting at the pub and you're having a drink and you go to put your beer down on the coaster, right? Yeah. And you put your beer down and you notice, oh, there's a QR code on my coaster. And you look across at the other coasters that are there in a little box on the the bar and you realize there's a QR code and there's advertising on there. They're like, oh, wow, it's for the new pasta restaurant just around the corner. Awesome. So, you scan, you know, just open up your camera phone app and scan the QR code, you find out about the pasta, maybe you get a deal. you get a deal and then on your way home, you walk around the corner, you get some pasta
1: on your way out. How does that experience sound? I mean, one, I'm Italian, so I love pasta. Not sure how many times I've gone for pasta after being at the pub drinking, but, you know, I get it. Yeah, just a nice, wholesome experience. Have a few beers. Get a Euros afterwards, have a few beers,
0: get a pizza afterwards, whatever, right? So, what problem am I so- looking to actually solve here? Well, businesses are always looking for new and effective ways to reach people, right? So, you know, as a small business or a small to medium business, you're always looking for new customers. You've got a marketing budget, I assume, or you've got marketing plans, sales plans, and all, all that sort of thing that are ongoing. You're always looking for new ideas to enter into new markets and new ways to reach people. So, basically, what I want to do is I want to provide a coaster creation and distribution service where we sit in between the businesses and the pubs and the bars. So basically you log on to our site as a business owner, you design, uh, maybe upload a photo or you can do a little design tool and then you pay for your coasters. You do the design and you pay for them. You put we, you put a little QR code on there and that links out to a web page. Then what we do is we create the coasters and we send them to the bar or the pub and the bar or pub then send them out, right? And then we also have tracking on the
1: analytics on the coasters as well. So that's the basic idea. First Impressions? My first impressions is, aren't there already printing companies that do this? So advertising type companies, you know, so they'll print signs, they do the banners, and they would do things like this. It's not merch per se, it's, you know, the, yeah, coasters and flyers and those smaller kind of items. So, how would this be different from what they do? I think it's in the execution, den. So,
0: not a new idea as such. However, if you were to dominate this market and dominate this idea, really link up like all of the pubs and all of the businesses, I don't think there's anyone just going off this specific niche, right? Where it's like, we do coaster advertising and we own it. So, there's tens of thousands of pubs in London. And imagine if you had like a thousand pubs for three boroughs that were in a row. And And then you could say, okay, we're going to put the next... Quentin Tarantino
1: movie on every single one of those coasters right you're right you could link up for those uh, let's say more kind of city-wide or even national kind of plays you know you could link all the pubs together and you could buy out all of them versus well also having that local opportunity so the pub down a particular street you could be advertising other shops or other places on that particular street yeah I think it makes sense and really what you're doing there is you're building up a, a distribution network and that's the value proposition to the businesses is that hey you can buy a single single local opportunity, or you can take out a wider range. Yeah, exactly. You've, you've nailed it. Exactly. And
0: yeah, producer Rodney has just written a quick comment there. you could gamify it with every hundredth coaster being scanned and getting a prize. Exactly. So there's a lot of things that you can do with it. And you can see like the web connectivity. I think the QR codes like a, a key sort of ingredient that we, you know, make easy to put onto your coaster design that can start having lots of interesting ideas happen when
1: people scan them. Do you know what I reckon would be cool? It's, it's Along similar lines. So you've, you've got the coaster. I didn't think one thing, obviously when you put the glass down on the coaster, usually when it gets poured, it gets put onto a coaster. If you're not sitting right there at the bar, you're going to pick up your drink. You're going to walk back. To your table or whatever, and you're not gonna see the coaster. Obviously, I know the idea would be that you'd then have another coaster on the table already, so they're kind of everywhere. <laughs> you know it'd be funny, on the bottom of the glass to have almost like a sticker. So when you finish your beer, there's you know some message that you can see, and maybe it's it's made in a way so the bottom of the glass effectively magnifies it and so you can still read it. I reckon something like that would be cool. So you get to bottom the glass and then you get your advertising message. (laughs) That's although it probably encourages drinking. That's actually a really cool idea. Drink five (laughs) beers so you can see the bottom of five glasses. (laughs) Uh,
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's if you can still see through it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Sorry, back Uh, to courses.
0: So I'm just gonna push on with the desirability. We're getting, we're getting a little in trouble here. So, you know, basically, it's I've got a really simple one. This will be quick. So, you know, small and medium businesses around the world are currently under extreme pressure. I think we can all sort of agree that. With cost of living crisis and the global rises in inflation, costs are increasing and therefore all businesses are on the new hunt for customers. I think that's a fair, minimally researched assumption. In terms of feasibility, I think it's just, this is a very achievable thing. And even if you wanted to get a quick, even if you wanted to get a quick MVP started, like you said, there's existing websites you can go to and make custom coasters. So you could make a custom coaster as a service thing. You don't even need to have like an online portal where people can log in. You can just literally go around to businesses saying, I'm going to make you a custom coaster once you have the deal with a pub. And you could literally just start it like that. I think it's quite easy. And then, you know, once you grow in size, the dream, the vision is owning the coaster factory, owning the whole factory from end to end.
1: So, yeah. I, I actually think the opportunity here, because there's lots of yeah promo companies and, you know, you're talking about a white label coaster supplier. So again, I come back to this, well, why can't they just do it themselves? And there are promotional companies that do all this, that it is white labeled. You just go in, you upload your design or you type the text in, they'll print it on demand, ship it out. You know, so I feel that part of it is pretty well established and I think it would be not hard to break into, but there's so many options that I think it would be hard to breakthrough and differentiate i think you know we touched on it before the opportunity is building this distribution network and i think if you could go to one of these promotional companies and say hey i've got a thousand pubs in my books and maybe cut some kind of deal with them and so then you're not having to worry about all the setup costs. You're not having to worry about getting good at printing and, and worrying about the e-commerce and all that side. Really what you're doing is you're selling the distribution network. And it might be that you take cuts mm. and some percentage or referral fee, but maybe that's more the, the opportunity. It's in the distribution network. Yeah, get the third party, which does the
0: technical thing. Yeah, I, just was, you know, I was sort of just, I guess, getting into the whole end-to-end process. But yeah, yeah. absolutely agree. The, the value is in that network, right? And And where you can have the mass sort of targeting of you know certain different certain and demographics at pubs. i
1: think as well obviously having that network of pubs and look, this is true of, of a network of any type of business but really then you're not limited to the coasters because then you've got this audience and you can sell this audience or this network to multiple other areas and so the coasters being one anyway yeah I'll stop 100%, digressing.
0: 100%. No, no that's a great point there's a lot we can build on that uh you know you could start doing a lot of different things like The random one I was thinking is obviously like the beer mats and then, but, you know, and they already do this with beer companies as well in in a lot of pubs as well. They have the branding of beer companies on the beer mats and the coasters and that sort of thing. It's sort of, I get that, but it's like, why isn't that a local business that's around the corner and why don't all of them have QR codes? Mm. Why isn't like that, like the local pizza store? I mean, here in London, there's, Pubs on every corner, literally every corner. And I just wonder if there's no real collaboration. They all still look like the same pubs and they're all called the same thing the bone and the arrow
1: and the the lamb and the duck and the, the the finch and the roach or something like. Let me give you a really quick fact about that. I know this isn't a fact podcast, but I do love my facts. The reason why all the, the old English pubs and in Australia, because obviously the English settled here as well, the reason they have generally two animals or symbols, like it might be the dog and the duck, like you said, or the elephant and the wheelbarrow is because in the Middle Ages, most people were illiterate and they couldn't read. So you couldn't put the name of the pub because people couldn't read it. So they used symbols, so an animal and an item. So people would know like where you were meeting. Anyway, fact over. Keep going with your ideas so we can get through it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's so funny. I didn't even know that. There you go. That's hilarious. So buyability, I'll finish off, is just, you know, I think this could definitely be a sustainable business. The business model that I wanted to employ was we get the businesses to pay a fee and we give the pubs a clip of the ticket potentially or you know we just give them the coasters for free and we take you know the whole cost of the advertising and cost of it depending on who you want to carry the costs I and mean, what works financially for the pub as well and for the for the business as well and how much they can afford and you know what amount of coasters but yeah it was more about like just basically
1: shifting the the cost around yeah i mean i i would say then they probably don't pay for the coasters they get that would be given them by all the pubs and other promotional companies. Yeah, all right. That's a great partnership proposition, free coasters from a pub's perspective. But also
0: like, I mean, I feel like it could be enticing if, hey, we're going to give you a dollar for every lead your pub creates if you use our coasters, right? Which we can track, yeah. All
1: right. Happy to end it there. Very good. Uh, I'm going to move us on to something a little bit different. So have you ever heard of something called the Heat Island Effect? I have not. Is it, it sounds like a Leonardo DiCaprio movie? It's it's not a movie though. No. So what it is? It's where city temperatures are several degrees hotter than the surrounding areas, and which is you know, mostly or largely due to those that man-made infrastructure. So buildings and roads they absorb and they re-emit the sun's heat, and so it's getting worse. Um, obviously, as cities spread or they develop and they become more urban, you know that replaces a lot of that greenery and those open spaces. And it's both a product of, but also contributing to climate change. But I think it's not the interesting part. it's The unfortunate part is that it also contributes to heat-related deaths and illnesses. And so there's about three hundred fifty thousand heat-related deaths per year. Now that's not solely created by this. It's you know extreme heat, but this is contributing to that. And so if you've been in a city and you know it's it's literally you know a city of steel, you notice that it is hotter in those cities versus if you're out in the country. And a lot of that is because of the greenery and the trees and that kind of thing. And so not only is this heat island effect hotter and it causes heat-related deaths, obviously it means that there's more need for air conditioning. So every degree hotter it is, there's say around 5% extra demand for aircon. And obviously that increases fossil fuels if people are using non-renewable energy to power those aircon. So it's this heat island effect, it has an effect in itself, but then it has all these on effects as well. So things like trees, green spaces, green roofs, cool roof coatings and cool pavement are some of the ideas that are being looked at by cities around the world in these public spaces to help address this heat island effect but i want to take a a different angle so there are plenty of backyards there's plenty of fields in the in residential homes so a home might own a couple of acres or thousand square meters whatever it is and plenty of open spaces in commercial or business and even government sites which would be perfect to plant trees but for them to do that obviously there's a cost in money and time for that homeowner or the business owner So, where I think there's an opportunity is start a company that goes around and plants the trees in the homes or the businesses for free. But as it grows, the company then generates carbon credits as that source of income. So, that's the idea. So, we plant trees in businesses and homes for free and then we get the carbon credits for it over time. What do you think? I see. I think that's a good idea. My immediate
0: thoughts are in a city, there's not a lot of opportunity to do this at scale and I think a lot of the sort of more environmental this is just off my own sort of knowledge in the areas all the big environmental companies that are doing this you know the the sort of more environmental charities and that sort of thing they go out to like rural areas and like plant masses of trees so I'm not sure my first thoughts is I like I love the idea it's a great model however I'm not sure
1: how big the opportunity is and look you're, you're right a lot of those big tree farms and those those farms are done out in rural areas because you can plant thousands hundreds of thousands in a in a big area and that obviously helps with climate change overall. That doesn't specifically solve this, the heat island effect though. And this is the whole point of, of what I'm saying is that it is hotter in the city because there are fewer trees. So How can we get more trees in those city areas? There are residential homes and I know some are apartment blocks, so not talking about them, but you know, there are homes like Torrance Tidal homes, homes that are kind of on the ground floor with backyards with the potential to do this or front yards. It could be median strips. I, just one more stat as we're going through and coming back to this heat island effect and the fact that it causes death. So, in the summer of twenty fifteen, there was a European study um, that looked at this and said that one third of the premature deaths attributed to the the higher temperatures could have been prevented by increasing urban tree cover to thirty percent. So at the moment it sits around at that time it sat around fifteen percent. So by doubling that urban cover would have prevented one third of those deaths. So it actually is a, a problem to, to be solved. That is insane. I can I can't believe that. That's a wow. Yeah. So like thinking about the program, you know, for the for the home or the business owner. They get free plants, free trees, something they may be intended to do anyway. You know, it could be that from a home perspective, it's for privacy. The tree grows big enough, prevents people looking over the fence. For the city or the council, it obviously benefits them because obviously we're helping to lower the temperatures and it helps the environment overall. So yes, well, it's not going to contribute a huge amount to the overall climate and carbon emissions, it is trying to solve more specifically this, this heat island effect. I think you could test this pretty easily around the desirability. It, just talking to a handful of homeowners and and business owners and I can't see anyone turning around and saying, no, nah, I don't want free trees, thanks. Because they don't have to do anything you know, no cost, there's no no labor, we'll do all that stuff for you. So I can't see many who wouldn't do it, but you could test it pretty easily, I think. I, I totally agree. That's pretty funny,
0: actually. Yeah. I have a question for you. Does this work indoors with like pot
1: plants and it's sort of, you know, indoor plants? Probably does, but not as much. Yeah, I mean, obviously we breathe out carbon dioxide, so it does, but to a lesser extent. Because, hmm. you know, that's another big thing is obviously indoor plants as well, I was trying to Yeah, it just, it absorbs, but it's, it's, a, it's a much lower amount. So, you would need thousands more plants compared to a tree kind of thing.
0: Well, yeah, it's interesting. And I'm not, you know, sort of expecting you to have the answer to this, but it's like, is plant carbon dioxide gathering or elimination, I guess they are sort of breathing it in almost, I I believe. Is that based off of surface area of leaf or is there some sort of internal system like an engine within each
1: different plant that all plants just, you know, suck in carbon dioxide at a different rate? I, I, I will come to that. I do have some numbers for you, which um, I, I think you'll be you'll be pleasantly surprised with. I believe it's actually the wood; it's stored in the wood and then converts that carbon dioxide back into oxygen, so it's it's sucking it out of the air. But let me just quickly talk about how the business works. So, and this is more from a feasibility standpoint. So, the homeowner, the business owner, they sign up to the program and include how many trees they want planted. The business that we're talking about would then go out and do the planting, noting it's not full size thirty meter trees. You know, we're talking the kind of the tube sock or the younger one to two year old trees. And then over time, the trees need to be monitored. And I reckon you'd probably do it through GPS maybe, but if there's there's shadow or shade that might be, or something blocking the trees, that might be hard to monitor. So maybe through a chip or something that's attached to the tree. I don't know if that's possible, but you need to make sure they're not removed. And obviously you need to do it to estimate the size because from a carbon credit standpoint, we need to know how much carbon we're sucking out in total so that we can kind of submit that. Yep. I think the other point around feasibility is you obviously have to make sure that this qualifies, for any carbon emissions or carbon credit program um i know that there's there's probably quite a bit that goes into getting that qualification all right so on the on the the viability in the business model side if you sell carbon credits it's about 30 dollars per ton so that kind of gives you an idea of, of how much you're going to make now a young tree so one to two years will absorb about five to ten kilos of carbon per year a more established tree so say 30 to 40 years can offset up to about 40 kilos so Based on that $30 per ton, you need about 200 young trees or about 25 established trees to reach that ton of offset. So, hopefully, that gives you some idea of that. So, yep. oh, okay. yeah, go, going further, so around. The business model and the, I suppose, the costs and the investment versus the revenue. If you were to buy one of the trees and you'd probably set up a, a partnership with a wholesaler, or eventually you'd probably want to own your own farm again. So you're growing it relatively for free, but you're growing it. And then obviously there's there's much lower cost. But if you bought the tree for $30, I mean, the smaller tube socks you might get for, say, $5, but they're obviously going to take longer to grow. A 30, 40 centimeter tree might cost about $100 it's a fairly significant upfront cost. So ideally you'd get some kind of investment, whether it's a grant or maybe some philanthropist is kind of backing you. But I think you'd need that to kind of get that initial purchase of trees started. But I think the obvious challenge here is that it's a very long game. So if the small tree, so this one to two year old tree, if it costs $10 to buy it and it absorbs an average of 20 kilos of carbon per year, it'll take about 17 years to break even. So as you can see, it's a long time, but that's why I'm saying if you had that initial investment that philanthropic money or grant money or even seed money there's a pun for you but if you had that money obviously all these costs would be out the window to an extent and you're just earning revenue from day one yeah how are you getting revenue from day one well because sorry you're not getting revenue from day one but there's there's lower costs because it would take time for it to absorb and there'd be a certain point it might be every six months or every year or whatever the cadence is that you effectively submit your carbon credit submission to the government or however that process works to receive that cash but obviously you wouldn't want to do it you know every day and, and be getting three cents. You'd want to wait till you have a significant amount. Well, I got a couple of thoughts. One pretty wild one, but I'll start with the less wild one.
0: You could sell potentially futures on that. So I think that makes the tree more valuable. It's almost like when you tie it with the, the carbon credits. It's like okay, in 17 years, it's actually worth this. It's, I'm just making these thumbs up. In 17 years, it's worth you know a hundred thousand dollars. However, I'll give it to you for thirty grand. But all you have to do, because you planted it, you've got it set up, you've got it all these trees. But you could do that on mass, right? So you could do the whole forest or whatever of little plants for. You know, a hundred thousand, and you plant what? Was that like a, a thousand at say ten dollars? And then is that right? Maths, don't try and do maths on a podcast, folks. But like, yeah, like, do you see what I mean? You could you could plant all the little trees, then sell them all for like seventy percent off the value of the future seventeen years, and then that person that you sell them all to the to another
1: person, that person will make you know thirty percent on them or whatever. It's pretty good. Yeah, and what what you're saying is is how a lot of these other ones work. So there are the, the forest that you're talking about. You can buy a tree. So, they might have a thousand trees available, and i you know had a look before. You can buy a 30-year-old conifer pine for, I think it was about 18 euro, and it says that it's, they're going to cut that down in 38 years, and over that time, it'll have generated something like 86 uh, euro, which you would get back. So you're effectively investing in a tree, and it's got an end time because they cut it down and they use it for wood. But it's all co- kind of part of that renewable process. Um, so yes, my brain's exploding. My brain's exploding. I need to cut you off, but this
0: amazing idea—you just triggered something. So tree marketplace so like a place where you can go on and you can sell your trees you have a tree in your backyard you can sell it but you keep it in your backyard right and people can buy your tree and then offset it oh my god my brain's exploding, right then i guess there's and then that goes into this further thing of can other countries that are more successful and more powerful that need carbon offsetting like a perfect example is australia because we do so much mining and have so much carbon in the atmosphere right go to a a poorer country and this is just purely facts we have we do have a higher market capitalization than a lot of countries in Africa. And so what if we go to an African country that has the rainforest flowing through it and we literally buy their trees and transport them and then plant them in Australia? Yeah. I mean, there's a whole lot of questions to that for the
1: carbon offset, but it's it's a bit dystopian as well. But the most efficient way isn't to be transporting trees. One, because they probably won't survive. Two, because you you don't want to be damaging other countries' ecosystem and removing rainforests. But you can buy in other countries and so at the moment you could buy trees to replenish the amazon rainforest from here i don't think the carbon credits are limited or, or restricted to be bought and sold within a country so I, th- I think it is you know a global game but yeah i mean it's it's the same concept I, I think the reverse you know you could plant trees in other countries and then get that those carbon benefits and then obviously that country gets the the benefit of the tree itself so again around the the carbon emissions but yeah, the idea you've said around the the marketplace for trees. I mean, I don't know if I want someone owning my tree. I've got a tree in the backyard. I'm not sure if I want someone owning it. But, you know, because I'm offsetting my own carbon, I suppose, by having it there. But yeah, it could be an option to explore. Ultimately, this would be probably a challenging business model. I do like the idea and I think it does solve an actual problem and, you know, something that is related to death. So I think it is something that, you know, is, is a good problem to solve. But I think that unless you had that philanthropic or that grant money to start with i think this would be a challenging business to make sustainable on its own but i think over time obviously once you've got those more established trees once you've got a large enough network generating enough carbon credits then i think it becomes sustainable 100 agree all right, that's the problem that's the see.